Hello, and welcome to Where Am I To Go podcast. Today, before we start the show, I would like to bring up some business things that have kind of been on my mind so that you can know where to get more Where Am I To Go. First off, I'd like to talk about the Facebook page at Where Am I To Go podcast. It's on Facebook, and we've been posting some wonderful pictures of some of the places that we've been and some of the adventures that we've had. Not everything that we go and do is made into a podcast, and so we take pictures at different places and post those pictures so that you guys can enjoy some of the different places we've been. Also, I really am interested in listener feedback. I have an email address at whereamitogopodcast at gmail.com. Again, that is whereamitogopodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear some of the listeners' comments and some of their ideas of places that might be interesting to visit and go and do. I'm on kind of a limited travel schedule as far as uh, the way that I travel and where I go, but if there's something extremely interesting, I would definitely do my best to build a trip around it. And the last thing, and, and the latest thing, is that I now have a Patreon account, where if you want to hear the podcast early, you can go to Patreon forward slash Lauren Alberts, sign up for three, five, ten, whatever dollars, if you were willing to support what I do, and help us with our travel expenses and some of that kind of stuff. I would greatly, greatly appreciate it. But what we're going to do is, right now I have several podcasts that are banked, I guess you could say. I'm on, I think, number 17, 18, 19, somewhere in there, and I've got close to 35 that I have waiting to go out. I only put out about every week because I want to be able to keep a nice steady stream and not have a point in time when we have to shut down like a, a lot of other podcasts do for season one, season two. I'd like to keep this thing going year round. And I've been traveling quite a bit and have been hitting quite a few interesting places. We've been to a tattoo museum. We've been to the beach and have gone to several uh, tourist attractions there, an underground tour. We did a cannery tour. We've just done all kinds of things, and I would love for you to be able to hear those early. So if you sign up with the Patreon, as soon as my editor Steve gets these things ready to go out, they will be put up on the Patreon page. And again, I would really appreciate your support. Now that I've got those things out of the way, I hope to hear from you, and I hope you keep on listening. And now, let's get on with the podcast. Hello, and welcome to Where Am I To Go podcast. Today, we happen to be at the Tillamook Air Museum in Tillamook, Oregon. If anybody's eaten any cheese, you know about Tillamook. It's right on the coast, and it's beautiful country. We've been traveling kind of down the coast. I've been to this museum probably three or four times, but not in the last probably seven or eight years. Today, we're here with Christian who is going to give us our tour. And we're gonna talk about this fantastic building. This thing is just unbelievably huge. And 
I guess we're going to get started. Why don't, why don't you give us a little bit of history here, Christian, on, on what, this, what this building is and, and why it's here and, and that type of stuff. Absolutely. Well, we're, uh, first of all, we're glad to have you here at the museum. So I'm glad to welcome you back after, uh, after so many years. So, uh, yeah, so the hangar we're, uh, we're standing in is, uh, is one of two hangars that were built here at the uh, former Naval Air Station Tillamook during World War II. Uh, the blimps were meant to house uh, blimps, or excuse me, the hangars were meant to house blimps rather, and uh, the blimps would be used for anti-submarine patrol for Japanese submarines up and down the coast. So you had, you had crew members in the blimps and they all had binoculars and they would literally just scan the water looking for, uh, looking for Japanese submarines during the war. And how big and, were these blimps? So they were about uh, roughly about 250 feet in length. So, uh, and about 80 feet in diameter. So they were, I mean, they were pretty good sized airships. So, which oftentimes sometimes made it a challenge flying, uh, especially with as windy as it, as it is here on the coast. Right. Well, the thing that's amazing here is the size of this building. It's, it's all made out of wood. Mm -hmm. Right. And this thing is how high? So it's 192 feet up to crown. So 192 feet up to crown. And this thing's shaped kind of like a Quonset hut. Right. It's got a rounded ceiling in it mm -hmm. and how long is it i mean uh so it's about 1072 feet in length though so, so right about the average length of an aircraft carrier mm -hmm. okay so it'd be it'd be a two and a half football field that's right yeah 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 so and and, uh, and he's got airplanes in here this is an air museum mm -hmm. he's got airplanes in here a couple of jets and uh you used to have a big cargo plane in here and stuff but it was just it it, it dwarfed the airplanes that were in here. Right. I, the, right. It looked like you could put a whole lot more airplanes in here and it just went on and on forever. Absolutely, yeah. In fact, uh, you know, a lot of museums have a real issue with, with, with space. Uh, we don't have that problem here because we're in such a massive hangar. Um, but we, we like to call it history housing history. You know, like a lot of folks would visit um, like a historic house. Like if you're up in Astoria, Oregon, you'd visit the Flavel House. Or if you're, uh, you know, back up in the Northeast, you'd visit the Lizzie Borden House. Um, you know, the house itself, the home is the attraction. Uh, and same way with the museum here, the hangar itself is definitely part and parcel uh, of the attraction. So again, you know, we do call it history housing history. So we have this uh, uh, this iconic building and all these historic aircraft housed inside it. And, mm. That's really cool. It, just to, I, I don't even know how to begin to describe the the size of this building, but I do remember seeing a picture of an airplane actually flying through That's right. the yeah. building and, and it was what like uh it was a, um it was a, a T6 Texan which was a World War II trainer uh, and it was actually it was a fly in that happened in uh, in 1950 there was a couple different uh couple different airplanes that flew through the hangar that day so uh so but it, but it's pretty massive uh you know it wouldn't be a a, a real difficult feat to do when the uh, the doors were open so that, it, it, so if you can imagine an airplane being able to fly through a building mm -hmm, yeah. that's that's how big this thing is <laughs> Which is just mind-boggling in and of itself. Oh, it is, yeah. And this is all wood structure, too. It is all wood, yeah. You know, in fact, you know, a lot of visitors walk in here, um, tours in the museum that come out, and, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, you, you have a conversation with them about how their visit was, and, you know, you immediately mention that the uh, hangar was made of wood, and, and they kind of look at you funny, like, wood and then they walk back in here and they look up at the structure and um, they realize that it's wood a lot of folks don't even realize it's that it's made of timbers uh, massive timbers they just think it's a big metal hanger because that's what we're all used to 
Uh, but of course, during World War II, all the all the steel and the aluminum and the and the metal was precious. It was being used for the ships, the tanks, the guns, and the airplanes. So there there simply was not enough of it. So uh, that's the reason why they ended up using um, such large timbers in the building of this. Well, and then and then this being timber country, of course. Mm -hmm. Oh you, yeah. You, that's what you had access yeah. to. Yeah. But yeah. these trusses. They're, they're built like a truss, like what you'd see on a house, kind of. Uh, they're built in arch form. Uh, everything's done, it looks like, with 2x8s, 2x12s. And the span on them is, is a good 10 feet yeah, yeah. that, that the truss makes its arch. Yeah, and, and just the way that it's arched is amazing. You know, you've got a, a 10 foot or 12 foot piece that goes into another 10 or 12 uh -huh. foot piece that sits at a, at a 10 degree angle all the way up over the top. But it doesn't give it a, a notchy appearance. It looks round. Right, yeah. No, it, it was really amazing. It was uh, really novel at the time. Uh, they, of course, they, you know, they needed a massive structure in order to house uh, six airships at a time. And um, the uh, chief architect on the, the project, his name was Arshim Amariki, and he was actually an Armenian immigrant. Um, and he actually proved mathematically you could build a thousand foot long uh, hangar and build it out of wood, and it could withstand all the forces at work here on the coast. And of course, people thought he was crazy at the time. They said, there's no way you could build a, a wooden structure this large. Huh. You know, nothing else of this size and materials had, had ever been designed in, in human history, let alone built. So they, uh, they built it, and of course, he proved them wrong because they're, you know, they're still standing here. And um, so, yeah, it's really a testament to um, 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 the vision and uh, the fortitude and the, the perseverance during the Second World War. Um, you know, if you look up at the, the wood, it really gives you an idea. Uh, you know, there's, there's certainly a lot of wood, uh, but if you look, there's actually 3.3 uh, million board feet of lumber, wow. which is about uh, enough lumber to build 283 bedroom homes. And that's just in this one hangar alone. And of course, there was two hangars here originally at the Naval Air Station Tillamartin. And what happened to the other hangar? So the other one uh, tragically burned down in a fire back in uh, August of, of 1992. Um, it was five days short of his 49th birthday. Um, unfortunately, you had um, uh, the hangar, it was, it was storing 100, uh, 139,000 bales of straw, and they suspect somebody, for whatever reason, had torched the straw. And um, so by the, by the time the firefighters got here, they more or less just concentrated on, on saving the structure. The other, the other hangar, Hangar A, was completely engulfed in flames at that point. So there was just, there was just really no saving it. Wow. Okay, now, now one point that you brought up that might help with, uh, with visualizing sure. the size of this thing. Mm -hmm. You said that they were able to house six blimps. Six blimps, yes. Six blimps. Mm -hmm. If you can imagine mm -hmm. how big a building would have to be to house a blimp. Yeah. So there was a uh, uh, house in here where the, uh, the K-class airships, uh, which were, I think, as I mentioned earlier, were about 252 feet uh, long and about 80 feet in diameter. So, uh, you know, 252 feet is about the, uh, about the, about the width of the hangar. So, so, so they, so they so. stored them width-wise or they stored them lengthwise? They stored them lengthwise, actually. Lengthwise, so, yeah. and then they had two, two in tandem all the way on back? Is right, that the way yeah. that they stored yeah. them? Theoretically, you could, get, you could cram nine of, the, nine of the blimps in here, but they were only ever designed to house six at a time, just because you have all sorts of other things that were being stored in here at the time. You had crash trucks, you had fire trucks, you had aircraft and visiting dignitaries. Um, all of the equipment used to service the airships during the war were all in here as well. So, so yeah, well, you could get uh, nine of them in here. It wasn't that 
it wasn't typical to see that many in here. And was this time. just storage or was this also manufacture? Just storage, yeah. They just were actually, storage? Yeah, they were all built by uh, Goodyear back in Akron, Ohio, and then uh, shipped off to uh, uh, Moffett Field Naval Air Station down outside of San Francisco, and then uh, inflated in San Francisco, and then flown up here to the base during the war. Okay. So Now, something kind of interesting. Uh -huh. I've looked for a blimp museum in Akron, Ohio. I yeah. was going to go through Akron. They don't have a blimp museum no, to document no. the Goodyear blimp, or, or it, I mean, there's so much history there. Oh yeah, and there is nothing yeah. as far as mm. as blimp history there, but you can get it here in Tillamook. Yes, yeah, I know of all places, <laughs> Tillamook of all places. <laughs> okay, well let's let's kind of walk through and look at some of the displays sure. that you have set up in go, here. Uh, maybe this way. Um, so this is uh, one of the first aircraft. This is of course the first aircraft you see when you walk in. It's an. Uh, uh, A7 Corsair II. Um, the first thing that um, I, I always point out to visitors, which is really interesting, is, is the camels on the side of the fuselage okay. here. Um, so if you count the camels, there's actually 39 camels, and each one of those camels represents the 39 missions that it flew in the uh, in the Gulf War. Oh, so um, this one here was actually in the Gulf War. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So a real, real, uh, real interesting piece of uh, of Gulf War history. So. Okay, and we're looking at a we're looking at a good sized jet. Yeah, yeah. That uh, military. Okay. Uh, we also have the next one here. I have here is the uh, F-14 Comcat, which uh, most people know is made famous by Tom Cruise in uh, Top Gun and the, okay. the 1986 film. Right. Uh, and the, and you've got a stairway going up, so you can look into yes. the cockpit and, yeah. and see what the what the planes look mm -hmm. like. Now, is this one set up for landing on a? Aircraft carrier? Uh -huh, yes, or? yeah, it was like a carrier aircraft. So, which, I mean, you, know, you look at the airplane, the F-14, it's, it's a massive, massive aircraft uh, uh, as a fighter, um, especially when you, can you compare it to some of the other fighters, say like World War II fighters, which were actually quite small compared to modern-day aircraft. Okay, and then and then um, we're moving over to another area in here, and it looks like you've got a lot of flight simulators. Mm -hmm, that's right. Yeah, this is our uh, our trainer area. So we set up a uh, a mock runway in here, so to give the uh, the appearance of uh, the trainers actually flying. We have visitors, uh, young or old, can climb into the trainers, pretend like they're flying. We have several different aircraft trainers. Um, you've got like six or seven of them. Mm -hmm, it looks like yeah. here. And yeah. all of the all of the tops are lifted up. Uh, mm -hmm. Looks like you got a helicopter. And we got a helicopter too. there as well. So yeah. So yeah. you can sit inside of these things, take your pictures, like uh, you're actually the pilot inside of some of these. That's planes. right. Yeah, yeah. This is definitely one of the more popular areas of the museum. So um, yeah, I can especially see that. the and very visitors. interactive. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, and that's one thing we're really trying to shoot for here at the museum is, is uh, more hands-on interactive exhibits, uh, more immersive exhibits. Okay. Um, we really want visitors to be a part of the exhibits. Um, I call it uh, education through interaction, you know, seeing an experience. That's the only way to learn. Oh, absolutely. You know, absolutely. you can sit in a classroom all year long oh, and not right. learn half yeah. as much as what you do by yeah. going to some of these museums and actually being able to participate mm -hmm. in, in the history, mm -hmm. especially absolutely. the way you've got this set up, you mm -hmm. know, where you've got your trainers open, you can get up and look in the F-14. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure we're going to see a lot more of that as oh, we yeah. go on. Yeah. Um, inside here, this is our uh, exhibit hall where all the rare uh, wartime and aviation theme artifacts are held. Um, this is a climate control area, so uh, we have a lot of artifacts um, from World War I to the present. Um, we have items from uh, Nazi Germany, we have items from Imperial Japan, uh, World War I, um, Cold War era. So over here, some of the more interesting items on the top shelf, you'll notice there's actually parts of the uh, a uh, great German passenger airship of the late 30s, the uh, Hindenburg. 
It looks like um, you've got some of the covering and some uh -huh. some metal pieces. Mm -hmm. A little German Luger. Mm -hmm. So yeah, a lot wow. of a lot of really uh, a lot of. I uh, thought that the Hindenburg would have been so burnt you couldn't have got anything. Yeah, any pieces. there was. Yeah, there was. There was a um, there was a few remains left over, so they ended up in uh, both private collections and in museums. Um, so yeah, that skin was actually um, from the uh, either the upper or lower vertical tail fin on the Hindenburg. Wow. So, in fact, there's not very many museums around you uh, that you're able to see remains of the Hindenburg. So that is unbelievable. Like I said, the way when you watch those those videos of the of the thing coming down, you sure wouldn't have thought that there was anything left. Oh, yeah. and, and here I'm looking at an actual piece of mm -hmm. the Hindenburg. Yeah, if you look closely, you can you can definitely see uh, discernible uh, burn marks. Oh yeah, on several pieces of the skin. Wow. And then you've got some German medals and some helmets mm -hmm. and, and uh, some compasses and cameras. All of this stuff here is, uh, is German. Uh, and then we move to the next rack, and what do we have here? This is Japanese? Some, uh, well, that's an Italian pistol. Uh-huh, yeah. And I have uh, a bomb the, sight. the Norton bomb sights that you would typically find in a, in a World War II bomber. So very, very top secret during World War II, of course. Um, lots of lots of pictures on the wall of, mm -hmm. of different uh, planes in flight, different uh, uh, diagrams as to how the planes were set up. And the wow, this is neat, uh, really a neat room. With some really neat displays. Mm -hmm. You got a gas mask in this display. This is all, all World War One era. World we have War here. One mm -hmm. British Royal Army Medical Corps uniform. One of wow. the reasons I like to send visitors in here, just because if you look on the wall, is you know photos surrounding you of, of when it was an active naval air station, so people can really get an idea of uh, of what went on here during the Second World War and, and exactly what it took to build the hangars. Uh, people just think, hey, they built the hangars, you know, and um, you know that's great and all, but you know when when you consider what it took to build the thing, they actually uh, they started in November of '42, and it was the worst uh, fall winter combination in 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 25 years and. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. pictures here of, of the construction. Now, the construction was fairly fast, too, wasn't it? N uh, nine months for this hangar. Nine, nine months, months to so, build something yeah. this big. Yeah. That is uh, just unbelievable yeah. to me. Uh, how, many, how many carpenters did they have working on it? Do you have any idea? Quite, you know, we don't have an exact number, but um, obviously there was quite a few uh, that were working on uh, both hangars. Mm. So, Did they build both of them in nine months, or they built one and then built the other? They built this one first, Hangar B, uh, which is a long story why Hangar B was built before Hangar A, but uh, Hangar B was built first, and then Hangar A, the second hangar, was actually built in, um, in 27 working days, if you can believe it, so, which is just, just astounding. You said so, 27, 27 working, working days. 27 working days, yep. Yep. No. Yeah, Nine months for one and 20. Nine, yeah. But, but yeah. you're talking pouring the footings. I mean, the, these pictures are showing concrete footings mm -hmm. that are yeah. just absolutely massive. Yeah. The doors, the skin, I mean, everything on this thing would have taken 27 days. Mm -hmm. yeah. Holy smokes. That just, that, that's mind-boggling. Yeah, and you can see um, some of the pictures here, some of the conditions that, these, uh, that, the, that the crew had to work under. So November of 1942, when they started, they got 16 inches of rain. Ooh. And, then and then December, they got 17 inches of rain. And then that January of 1943, they got 18 inches of snow, which is absolutely unheard oh. of here on the coast. So, you know, the fact they built it in nine months under those conditions is just... just just mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. Yeah, any conditions mm -hmm. to think that they built it in nine mm -hmm. months is mind-boggling. Yeah. But then you tell me 27 days on the other one, uh -huh. and, and my mind is just totally blown yeah. here. I yeah. just, 
I can't even fathom. Uh, I, I, I can't even imagine how many people it took to put the bolts in to all the the uh, trusses that oh, are yeah. up there. I mean, just if you were just up there screwing bolts in, it'd take a hundred guys. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Twenty-seven days. Yeah. And then you've got a display on as you first walk in here on on women. You've got mm -hmm. several uniforms and. Yeah, this and is our, the uh, things that the women yeah, were absolutely. involved yeah, in. They were uh, involved in all branches of the, of the, the uh, service during World War II, the, uh, the Navy, the Marines. Um, You've got the waves, the spars, mm -hmm. the women's reserve, mm -hmm. U.S. Marine Corps. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Just... And we have some uh, wave uniforms here and then uh, uh, U.S. Army Air Force uniform here as well. Um, so. That is cool. And then we can go back on over here. You've got an old radio receiver. What is that? A radio um, compass yeah, an known old as compass. the football. Yeah, yeah. It was used on the B-17 and B-29. Okay, uh -huh. now how did that work? It just looks like a blimp on a pedestal. It does kind of look like a, yeah, all, yeah, all the airplanes, if you look closely at them, all had those, uh, had those uh, radio compasses. And um, again, yeah, they called it a football for obvious reasons. It's, it's shaped like a very large football. Um, this case is uh, 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 Naval Air Station Tillamook, so here's the bowling ball and bowling pins for, um, from the uh, old recreation building that they used to have here on the base where folks could uh, well, recreate, of course, and uh, they could uh, have a game of bowling, they could go to the basketball court and shoot some hoops. And what base um, were this was? What, what base was this? So this was uh, Naval Air Station Tillamook. Naval so, Air Station Tillamook. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So there um, must have been a lot of military because they had Fort Stevens. Mm -hmm, yeah. Uh, up out of Astoria, right. and you had Naval. Yeah, you had had. Um, yeah, you had, you had the Naval Air Station up there in Astoria. Um, then Fort Stevens was 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 separate from that. Oh really? Um, and then. Um, um, you had uh, all the Naval Air Stations down in Northern California out of Moffett Field there. And then uh, uh, outside of LA, you had uh, Tustin, California, right outside of Santa Ana. Um, you had two hangars like these down there as well, okay. which, which are still down there. So. Um, okay. Wow. This is really neat. You'd see a model. And then you've got of, a yeah, core sample out of one of your mm -hmm. concrete yeah. uh, supports or Yeah, or you can, see, you can see, how, see how thick that concrete is. Oh, yeah. Is. And it's really pretty. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the yeah. aggregate they used is, is oh, yeah. kind, of, kind of pretty there. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay, more pictures. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's just tons of pictures. What's the story with this? Uh... Oh, this here's uh, the underside of a blimp that yeah. it, torn from its mast in high wind. So that yeah, must so, uh, must yeah, have so crashed. That area, the uh, that the, the crew compartment below the airship itself is called called the gondola. So okay. and this is a this is a picture I'm uh, showing you of the gondola right now. And the gondola, just to kind of put it in perspective, is, is about the size of a school bus. So it's pretty good size. And the uh, the crew uh, would encompass about uh, about ten to twelve people at any given time. And then you can see around you these large. Uh, plexiglass windows, which right. really made it a great observational platform for uh, spotting Japanese submarines during the Second World War. Now, there weren't many. Did they do a lot of spotting? Were, there, were the Japanese submarines over this far very there was, much? Yeah, or? there was. so there was definitely Japanese submarines out there. Um, in fact, uh, Fort Stevens, just north of us, uh, outside of Astoria, was the uh, very first military installation since the War of 1812 to actually be shelled by an enemy combatant. Uh, Battery Russell was shelled by a Japanese submarine there. Um, so what happened was is the Japanese submarine fired at Fort Stevens because they, they thought there was an installation there. They weren't 
quite sure, but they were trying to provoke a response. Of course, the commander of Fort Stevens said, eh, no, we're not going to give away our, our position at all. So they refused to fire back, and the Japanese submarine went on its way. But, um, but if you go up, uh, up, in, up in the Astoria, there's actually there's a, a plaque out there where one of the uh, shells fell from uh, the Japanese submarine. Believe it or time. not, we supposedly saw the shell that fell. Oh, did you? Okay. The okay. underground tours there in Astoria. Uh-huh. We did uh-huh. a podcast there okay. yeah. just a couple days ago. Uh-huh. And he said that he had the actual shell okay. there in his little museum. Oh, okay, yeah. So yeah. It, it's possible that maybe yeah. if you go there, you can you can see that. Mm-hmm. And then you've got some helmets, some some air helmets for the pilots. Mm-hmm. Medals and uh, shoulder epaulets and uh, a lot of items. This is so. This is our uh, display for Imperial Japan during World War II. We have one of the uh, silk flags with the. Um, with uh, Japanese characters written on there. Um, they had a couple of different flags, typically, like if you were a Japanese soldier during the war, when you left, <clears throat> you'd have friends or family members that would, would sign your name. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, I'm seeing the shell now, wonderful. Um, and then you also had um, an, uh, other flags, which would have, um, um, they say like, good luck, and you know, go get the enemy, and give them hell, and um, uh, words of wisdom, words of encouragement. So you had a couple different types of Japanese flags that were typically given to Japanese soldiers during the war. Um, these silk flags, they'd fold them up, put them in their pockets. So a lot of these flags ended up being brought home um, to the States here after the war. Okay. Um, and then we have our 1943 uh, Japanese Army winter flight suit. And if you unzip the suit, it's actually it's gorgeous. It's, wi- it's lined with white rabbit fur. Oh, really? Um, you, could, you could tell it's one of the winter flight suits, actually. Um, it's difficult to see here, but there's actually a plug-in where you can actually um, plug the suit into the uh, aircraft and heat the suit. So wow. meant for flying in winter and at, and at higher altitudes. And you can see some of the r- mm-hmm. white rabbit fur if you look mm-hmm. inside the pocket. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, this is just a really nice display room. Uh, we have one of the um, uh, a portion of the uh, Japanese balloon-carrying bombs, which were uh, oh. sent on the jet stream over uh-huh. uh, to the west coast as well. So you can see some of that skin here in the uh, Japanese display. And We were in a so, museum in Deer Lodge, Montana, uh-huh. and they've got a piece that's probably two foot by two foot yeah. of one of those wonderful. balloons, wonderful. Yeah. which is really neat. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, yeah, the story with those is they would they had school children build those right. balloons. They sent them in the wind currents on uh-huh. over with incendiary yeah. devices on yeah. them, and uh, there was a couple that were family that was killed right. here in yeah. Oregon. Yeah, because they didn't know what it was. Went over, got too close, and it blew up and killed right. them. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, right outside of um, in Brookings down there in southern Oregon. Yeah. It yeah. It's really fascinating history. It's, I mean, it's interesting because the, uh, you know, the Japanese knew about that wind current, you know, the jet stream. And right. of course, they didn't know it was called the jet stream at the time. So they, it was actually, it's a very ingenious idea. You know, the problem was is, is typically the jet stream strongest during, during wintertime. But, you know, of course, starting Pacific North fires in the Pacific Northwest during wintertime is, you know, it's not, that's not that great of an idea because of how rainy it is here in the Northwest. Right. But so, the ingenuity, but, I mean, yeah, they had, oh, yeah. they had, uh, barometric things on them that if they yeah. got too low it would it would cause them to quit losing right. air or something and and they were all designed to where yeah. what it's just it's you need to look up and and mm. uh research a little bit of these mm. incendiary balloons that were sent over because they sent thousands and thousands of yeah. them yeah yeah but they had a lot of technology on them as right. far as how they were going to get it here right. and when right. you think about how far away japan is 
And they didn't just, I mean, they didn't just make it here. We had one in Wyoming. Yeah, yeah. Uh, They made it further further east. I don't know how far east, Mm -hmm. but I know that several states reported them, you know, like maybe Nebraska, maybe uh, Indiana and some of those states. They went a long, Uh long ways Uh with with a little bit of air and just catching currents. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's it's, it. Now I've seen two of those samples. Yeah, the, of the there you go. Yeah, that just boggles my mind. I've heard about them and heard about them, and and now I see I, I see two since I've been doing this uh-huh. podcast. Yeah. it's just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's some of the areas in the home. Wow, science. that's some a of the camera. Aviation cameras. Yes, yeah, yeah. When you consider the power, you know, all of us have on our iPhones now, you know. So I mean, oh yeah, but, this this but, camera's got a lens on it that's. Uh, four or five inches round at the mm-hmm. front mm-hmm. and it's it's uh probably two foot long mm-hmm. and sits up about 18 inches uh-huh. tall that's a huge it camera. is yeah yeah now there's so much wonderful stuff in the exhibit hall you know you really have to take time and really look at each item and, and read the captions that we've that we've put with each, each particular item um, one of the things that i always find interesting you know you don't have to take time reading it. these are the bomb fuse safety tags so before they drop a bomb they they pull the fuse tags out there and and all the tags are actually written uh where uh what particular area they were bombing for instance so like this is um uh, they're bombing germany here um and these are like uh, pins on the on the hand grenades mm-hmm. Um, the bombs itself, so they're dropping. Yeah. Uh, um, so, like this one, this drop bomb was dropped uh, September the seventh. I can't read the exact date on there. Um, on Erned in Germany. Um, so it's really, really fascinating to to sit there and read all those. And and now, then, did these uh, pins activate the firing pin like they do on a hand grenade? You know, where you pull the pin and then let the handle loose. I believe so. I believe wow. so. Yes. And then they, and then they documented where each bomb. Yeah, was and then dropped. they bought it. Yeah, exactly. So they have the dates written on there, and then where exactly they were dropped. And so it's kind of it's it, I mean it's really it's really interesting to go and look at where these were dropped and then go out and go out on you know and, and Google the names of right. of the towns where they were dropped and look at that area nowadays so and you know wow. how much it's changed so just mm. fascinating and then you've got a, a fire truck display here that's right yeah 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 we have a lot of old uh, uh, vintage fire engines um, um, so like this one is a 1958 fire engine. Um, we also have a Seagrave fire engine on the other side, which was the type of fire engine that was out here on the base. We actually, had, um, uh, the firehouse here housed uh, uh, two Seagrave fire engines here. Um, so these are actually on um, uh, on loan to us. Um, but no, no. Is- the thing that's cool is that this this hangar. Is big enough you could have ten museums in this oh, yeah. on thing. Absolutely. When I was here before, you had several big commercial type airplanes uh-huh. in here, yeah. and then you had a trolley museum. Then you had uh, a couple of gyrocopters. <laughs> it was very and, eclectic. I mean, you had yes. all. I mean, just all kinds of stuff. And every time you turned around, it was like a different right. museum in right. here. <laughs> and so now we've been looking at airplanes. Mm. We're looking mm. at the exhibit hall, and we jump on out here. And now we got mm-hmm. a fire truck mm-hmm. display. Yeah. This got what six or seven fire trucks. Yeah. So these are on uh, loan to us from the Oregon Fire Service Museum in, in Salem. Um, they're trying to start up their own fire museum there in, in Salem. So okay. we're walking under a, a ladder now. Now we just um, did a, a big fire museum in uh, Phoenix. Oh, okay. That okay. Uh, is a Hall of Flame. Oh, and oh, great. So we did a podcast there, and it was it was fascinating. They had the old hand pump stuff uh-huh. all the way up through the modern 
fire engines and what a great name yeah hall of flame <laughs> it was I... and so yeah there's several really neat fire engines oh. a really nice oh, ladder no. truck uh yeah vintage and everybody loves fire engines they're, you can't help but love them they're <laughs> yes. they're cool they're way cool okay now we got an air crane ericsson air crane from central point oregon this plane is huge it is this, this, this one is here the... used to be in the hangar didn't it uh very briefly it was in the hangar yeah and then um and then they towed it it was up kind of on the uh that grassy knoll above us here and then it was towed down here uh, several years ago and then okay. opened up for as a as an exhibit and this thing's huge it is yeah so this uh, massive bulbous aircraft it's called a mini guppy and uh, its maiden flight was in uh, may of 1967 and the uh, the guppies themselves were uh, let's jump on up in sure. so the wind yeah, the, yeah, the wind the wind affects us yeah. pretty badly so okay so let's go back to mini guppy now sure. i've seen a guppy at uh -huh. the, at the uh Tucson yeah, Air yeah, Museum yeah. has a guppy, yeah, yeah. And, and the guppy's worth uh, Googling also if you want to see what oh, that yeah. thing looks like. It's the yeah. strangest looking plane yeah. you've ever seen. It is, yeah. That's, the, that's one of the first questions people ask when they come to the museum is that, what's that bizarre looking airplane at the end of the building? So you have to tell them it's a mini guppy and the whole history behind them. And, but, they're, but they're really amazing. Uh, you know, going back to the, you know, like you were talking about the, uh, the super guppy down there. The super guppy and the pregnant guppy were the very first guppies that were, uh, that were built. And they were designed purely to, haul, uh, to carry the uh, Saturn boosters for NASA during the Apollo program. Because what the, they were originally doing with those boosters, they were taking them down through the Panama Canal and around to Cape Canaveral, which took them a couple weeks to do that. So you can imagine the time and the manpower. And right. So um, uh, uh, this company, Aerospace Lines, who built this thing, convinced them that, hey, you can haul this thing from Sacramento to Cape Canaveral in 24 hours. So NASA, NASA bit and... Uh, they uh, built them and they, you know, the rest is history. So, I mean, th to me, it's really amazing to, to think when they hauled these boosters, more than likely probably wouldn't have made it to the, uh, the moon as fast as we did had it not been for these guppies. And uh, so this company, Aerospace Lines, they were so successful with the uh, super guppy and the pregnant guppy, they decided, hey, we're gonna build a third one, the uh, mini guppy. So this is the mini guppy here at the museum. And uh, it was mainly designed for contract cargo. So if you had anything oversized and you wanted it airlifted and carried, they carry it for you. So if you had a large boat, for instance, uh, hey, call up Aerospace Lines and they'll carry it for you. So so they did. So they did uh, private. Uh, yeah, a lot carry. of private stuff. Um, they and did the, do. And this th this thing's huge. It's what fifteen foot high. I, I believe seven, high? about seventeen feet up to the top. Seventeen there, so. foot, and then and then it's so. round. So uh -huh. it's got to be seventeen foot round. So yeah, and, you and, can see, uh, uh, and we're probably what one hundred and fifty mm -hmm. foot long. Right, yeah. So it's a. Uh, you can see right here where it's hinged. So this whole tail just swings open to the right. And so the whole back uh, uh, 40 feet of it uh -huh. opens yeah. up. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Wow, and then you can just load right on in. It's mm -hmm. got rails with uh, platforms that move so you yeah, can put absolutely. things on the platform and be able to move them forward yep. and then secure them absolutely. back into place. Yeah. So you can see, uh, and all you're, all you're looking at in here is just a basic tube, a fuselage. Yeah. It doesn't have any of the, the wiring and stuff that you see in so many right. uh right. you know cargo type planes it's all just yeah. very basic and yeah. very very open mm -hmm. yeah really neat so we have some of the displays because i you know one of the interesting things about the mini guppies is that it wasn't just originally built as a mini guppy originally it was built as a uh, a boeing 377 stratocruiser in uh, 1949 that 
it flew for Pan Am uh, up until 1960. Uh, and basically what they did is they had all these excess strata cruisers when they were, uh, when we were coming into the jet age and they didn't know what to do with them. So what they did is they basically cut off the cockpit just after the cockpit and then cut off the tail and then sliced those two sections together to make this massive aircraft uh, you see as the mini guppy here today. So this was uh, originally what the aircraft looked like here on the uh, board okay. when, it, when it flew as a strata cruiser for Pan Am. Okay, and it says that uh, the maximum speed was 375 miles an hour. It cruised at 301. It had a range of 4,200 miles, so it could fly coast to coast. That was that was, that was this was for the uh, Stratocruiser. So yeah, okay. yeah, and they only built uh, 56 of those Stratocruisers. So it was really it was a luxurious airplane at the time. Uh, one of the interesting things I like to point out about the uh, the Stratocruisers is that. Uh, it actually had a spiral staircase going down to a lounge. Oh, really? So you'd get up, you take off, you go down into this, the, down into this lounge, and then uh, later on, when the, when Boeing was designing the 747, they had, of course, the spiral staircase that went up. They actually got that, uh, stole that spiral staircase design uh, in house from the spiral staircase uh, that they had used for the Stratocruiser. So it's kind of a, uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was that was luxury at the time. So okay, so now did this one have similar performance? Speeds and stuff as a Stratic, Strata Cruiser. Uh, not when they not not when it became a Mini Guppy. Okay. So, okay. so obviously quite a bit slower. So we have some of the specs on it um, up here, and I mean with some of the items that it carried over here uh, as well over the years. Um, so here's some photos of when they uh, chopped up the Strata Cruiser and when they were putting it all together. So um, this is the uh, gentleman at the time, uh, founder and president of Aerospace Lines, Jack Conroy. A photo of him. Um, okay, so this one here had a cruising speed of 240. So yeah, it was instead yeah, of, quite a instead bit slower. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so it was, and the range was 2,500 yeah. miles, which is still not far from coast yeah. to coast. Yeah. I mean, no. well, probably good. is coast to coast if you're flying straight across. This, and this thing through, it flew all over the world and back again. So you just got a payload. engines, and it's got a payload of 40,000 pounds. That's a lot of weight. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and the length on it is 132 feet, 10 inches. So 133 feet and the wingspan's 156. And this thing fit inside of the hangar. Yeah, yeah. you can see, uh, you know, Goodyear's Europa uh, airship, the uh, gondola, uh, the airship was deflated, the gondola was put in here. It was a public relations platform for Goodyear in the, in the 1970s was put in here. Um, you can see it hauling, uh, they're about to open up the tail, haul a Boeing 707 nose in the back of here. So you can imagine a, a Boeing 707 nose in here. I mean, it must have just taken up, you know, a Everything. good chunk of the, uh, the cargo hold here. Wow. Um, uh, NASA's Pioneer, uh, Pioneer 10 spacecraft, it carried that in, uh, in 1972. Um, and this is, this is something that everybody can go into. Again, absolutely, it's part yes. of the interactive uh -huh. part of your absolutely. museum. Now we're going to go up here to the cockpit, and it's going to get a little bit noisy, so uh, you might hear some of the background noise as we step up here. Uh, this is this is really interesting. For an airplane as big uh -huh. as what this is, this cockpit's only uh, eight foot wide and, and what, eight foot long? And it's difficult got... to even see the windows when you're outside. It's like a lot of folks go, how the heck did they find this thing without any windows? So you have to look really, really closely to see the windows because, you know, if you step back here... Um, Actually, look at this section. This is actually the, the Stratocruiser section right here that they right. built on top of. So it gives you an idea of the original size of the airplane relative to uh, the Mini Guppy we're in today. 
And so then you had a pilot, co-pilot, and a uh -huh. navigator. Yep, yep. And yeah, and sitting up like this, it might be kind of hard to, to even see where you were going from, from this perspective. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Lots of lots of gauges, controls. Somebody had to know what the heck they were looking at. <laughs> yeah. This is just way cool. And and the interactive part, you know, being oh, able to come up in here, see yeah. it, experience it, like mm -hmm. you said, mm -hmm. uh, is just awesome for, for people with children, even even people that don't have children. I'm Absolutely. impressed. I do have children, but uh -huh. they're just not with me. Yeah. So, uh yeah. Yeah, I know. I know, especially, you know, because I have, I, have I have a seven-year-old daughter, you know, and she loves this stuff, but she likes to be able to climb into this stuff and experience the stuff and interact with the stuff. So, you know, this is great for, for kids like her. Right. Um, yeah, I just, it, it's definitely worth the visit if you're anywhere near Tillamook. So, I mean, the cheese factory is good, too, but oh, yeah, the, I, I'd take this cheese. over the cheese factory. <laughs> Nobody makes better cheese and ice cream than the uh, Tillamook Cheese Factory. Right. I'd have to agree with that. But they're kind of closed down right now with all this COVID stuff. Yeah, so yeah. I don't know what I'm going to be able to do uh, with, with them as far as I probably won't be able to do a podcast, but uh, I was hoping to go yeah. watch it anyway. You look up, you can see, uh, if you look up, you see the, uh, the size of these doors here. So there's, uh, there's six doors or what they call leaves. And uh, each one of these doors is 120 feet tall and uh, weigh between 30 to 40 tons each. Wow. And they're all on a track. And, they're all and on so they all tracks. slide yes. open. Uh -huh. Yeah. And so you got three slide to the right, three slide to the left. That's correct, yep. Yes. And it's, uh, it's quite a spectacle when we do open the doors here. What we do is, uh, originally they were motorized during uh, the Second World War, and nowadays we just use an aircraft tug and, and push them and pull them open and closed. Okay. But, uh, but I'll tell you, when you get on the aircraft tug and start to uh, open them or close them, all eyes are on you. I mean, everybody's like wondering, how the heck do they open those things? It's just, yeah. Now, when I was it's, here years ago, I'm not huh? seeing it right now. Maybe it was on the other end. I was just going to point that out. I think of the basketball hoop. The basketball right there. Hoop. Yes, absolutely, yeah. yeah. At the top of these 120-foot yeah. yeah. tall doors. There you go, right up there. There's there. a basketball hoop, <laughs> of all things. I doubt if anybody ever made a basket. I don't think, yeah, but 100, I can't 120 feet. I can't even imagine how somebody could get a ball up that <laughs> oh, high. Oh, I know, yeah, no way. shot's pretty good. Absolutely. But, uh, there's actually, there's one on the other side, too, so you could do a full-court game if you really wanted to. Oh. So, yeah. Yeah, 200-yard full-court yeah. basketball you game. You might think about bringing the, bringing the playoffs here one day. So. Yeah, you'd, you'd need mm -hmm. some pretty tall Harlem yeah. Globetrotters to, to be, pull that one off. It would be a very low-scoring game <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah, I, and i remember that from 20 years ago yeah yeah here. yeah in fact we've a, we have a scavenger hunt that we give uh, a lot of the visitors and um and uh, uh the that's that, that's one of the bonus questions on the scavenger hunt is, is can you find the basketball hoops because they're very really difficult to find actually you really have to look up into that area yes so. you do and nobody would think they'd be it up at 120 feet right <laughs> Yeah, it's just, it's pretty cool. So they got this uh, massive uh, cargo aircraft here. This is a uh, C-27 Spartan. It was uh, built in Italy, and it was uh, used by the Army in the uh, uh, early 1990s. It's uh, since been retired, so it's now uh, now on exhibit here at the museum. So And this is just mm -hmm. a dual engine, uh, just two engines, mm -hmm. and it's prop. 
uh, mm -hmm. plane. Did, yeah, it looks what very, kind of payload did it have? Looks very know? similar to a, um, a, a C-130, uh, although quite a bit smaller than a C-130, actually. So, um, um, yeah, this one was used uh, quite a bit in uh, Panama. Oh, okay. So, they would use it uh, mainly for, like, uh, like, drug interdiction down there in Panama. Okay. Um, so, yeah, really... Uh, it's kind of a beefy-looking plane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just kind of short, uh, and, short and fat. Uh, Huh. So this is another one of our exhibits, um, which is new within the last couple of years here. This is the uh, Anderson Air Raid Shelter, you know, kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier, uh, all the interactive exhibits we're trying to put together. So um, this is the exact same size of air shelter that you would find in uh, London, England during World War II. So uh, back during the German Blitz, if you were a family and you wanted to escape falling German bombs, you would actually construct one of these shelters called the Anderson Air Raid Shelter. And uh, they were partially buried backyard shelters. You build them in your backyard. And then of course, when the air raid sirens go off that you can hear behind you here, right. you'd run out to your shelter and um, they protect you from, uh, from those German bombs coming down. So uh, we now uh, are they called Anderson uh, shelters because Anderson Company built them. This for is actually um, who they were named after here, uh, Sir John Anderson. This picture was taken of him in 1943, so they're named after him. Uh, they're more or less his idea, and um, uh, so they were used primarily during the uh, blimps or the blimp blimps blitz rather uh, during the Second World War, early on in the Second World War rather. Um, we built into the. Uh, we got all the specs and built it exactly like it was during the Second World War. And it's got um, kind of slope sides coming mm -hmm. down. It's it's what uh, eight foot long and yeah. about yeah. Uh, oh yeah, it's only uh, six foot wide. It's got four bunks in it. Yeah, yeah. It was meant to ha it was meant to house a family of about four to six individuals. Um, it would have been tight. By oh, the time yeah. you got through, you didn't like your brother anymore. You feel that? We even used the correct gauge steel that they used because it was meant to withstand. Um, uh, protected oh, from wow. a 500-pound uh, bomb within about 50 feet. So yeah, and it's arched. It's is. arched for the for uh -huh. the most impact uh, uh -huh. resistant. Yeah. But the steel that that they're using is is probably like two or three sheets of the corrugated uh, yeah. tin that you see on a lot of yeah. uh, buildings and that kind of stuff. So we want folks to be able to get in there and really experience. Uh, uh, as much as you possibly can, what life was like during the Second World War in, in one of these air raid shelters, and the you know the fear that people must have felt oh, when, yeah. the, when the German bombers came up. When you hear the drone of those engines and and the German and the, those bombs were falling, you know. Well, and the and, and the fear must have gone the other way when they heard the yeah. British and the American right. bombers coming yeah, in Germany. Absolutely. I mean, you know, yeah. it, 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 war can't be a, yeah. a fun thing to get to experience no, and live through not. on either side. Yeah. So we have. Um, a, a, uh, a bunk on each side here, so we have room for uh, four individuals in this shelter. But um, again, they all sometimes they had a they had two smaller bunks uh, for kids in the back. So we want visitors to actually be able to get into the shelter and almost have that uh, almost like claustrophobic feel of what it oh, must have yeah. felt like during the war to be to be stuck in one of these shelters during the war. But uh, of course, better than the alternative, right? So, and then uh, you've got a nice video here showing a lot mm -hmm. of the damage and, and how uh -huh. some of these shelters actually held up uh -huh. yeah. under the bombing. I mean, everything's yeah. destroyed yeah, all the, the way around uh -huh. and, the, and the bunkers yeah. sitting right in the middle that's still Absolutely. standing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow, yeah. that is really These shelters were actually provided to, uh, provided to, to citizens, uh, British citizens, uh, free of charge if you made under uh, a, uh, a certain level of income. Oh, really? So, 
So, huh? That is that is really interesting. And it says that uh, initial tests of Anderson's shelter consisted of dropping one and a half to two tons of brick and stone upon a test shelter from heights up to 25 feet and placing 75 tons of pig iron on an unburied yeah. model. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, they were really tested extensively. Are, so. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> so they knew, they knew they worked well ahead of time. Um, we have our, uh, this is a, uh, called the Hall of World War II. Um, we had one gentleman actually named uh, Steve Schramm, a uh, local out of uh, Salem, Oregon. He uh, actually built all this over a period of uh, a number of years, of course, and put all this together. I hope um, he owned stock in model glue. Right, yeah, yeah. Because uh -huh. he used yeah. a lot of Oh, it. yeah, yeah. Wow, there's uh, got to be... His father was a, uh, was a Korean War vet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is amazing. Okay, I'm going to so. take, I'm gonna take uh, a wild guess. There's yeah, 10,000 pieces right. in here. That's a, that's a good guess. I don't know, actually. You know, man, it's, that's a, it's a really good guess. I'm not super good at guessing. People people will find I say something's, you know, 40 foot long, and then then I get corrected. No, it's okay. only 35, or they tell me it's 75. But there, I, there are models of just about every kind of warplane. Uh, you've got mm -hmm. a, a aircraft carrier, a German aircraft carrier with, Four, eight, eight airplanes, and, yeah. and the little lifeboats, and these oh, are all uh, uh, European European battle scenes on this side, and then on the other side of the wall, uh, next to us here are the um, our Pacific uh, battle scenes. But we're not just talking airplanes; we're talking yeah. all of the ships, ships, uh, yeah, tanks, tanks, guns, everything, airplanes, yeah, uh, everything military is, is <laughs> displayed here in model form, mm -hmm. and a lot of them are are handcrafted, not. Uh, mm -hmm. Not coming out of a box. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. This is just amazing. You've got a dock set up over here where people are coming down onto a submarine. You've got mm -hmm. the cranes uh, working on the submarines. Wow. This is one of the ones that's kind of near and dear to my heart, the uh, Battle of the Bulge. Uh, uh, my great uncle, my great uncle Bill, was actually a 99th infantry in the Battle of the Bulge. So, you know, we grew up with him and, um, and all his stories and... So and now I go back and I you know I listen to his stories about uh, what happened during the Battle of the Bulge and it's just you know it's just it's unbelievable. So and and, and this little this, uh, not little this room is just full right. of models. Yeah. Like I said, we're not talking when I say ten thousand pieces, I'm not talking about the people and the and the little uh, accessory things mm -hmm. like barrels in the backs of the trucks mm -hmm. and stuff. We're looking at. I'll bet there's over a thousand tanks, yeah. or maybe even fifteen hundred tanks, mm -hmm. in this one display area mm -hmm. of the Battle of the Bulge. Mm -hmm. Wow! Yeah, this is a, a excuse me, a relatively recent addition to the museum within the last uh, within the last couple of years here. So, and I'll bet it took uh, more than popular. nine months to put oh, this yeah, together. Yeah, right? <laughs> Holy smokes! <laughs> Just ships mm -hmm. and tanks and mm -hmm. guys. Uh, each mm -hmm. one of these. Uh, uh, Half tracks that are here have have seven or eight guys laying mm -hmm. in them, and machine gunners standing at machine gun, and yeah, it's it's almost it's, overwhelming. It, it is <laughs> uh, almost overwhelming. I'm just sitting here looking and and pretty much just stupefied mm -hmm. at at what I'm seeing. And we're we're just going down one aisle here. Right, we right. got another aisle of this. <laughs> yeah. This is fantastic. Just wow! Somebody had a lot mm -hmm. of time. 
I can't believe that one guy was able to put all of this yeah, together. Yeah, yeah, here's the gentleman, uh, Steve Schramm, out of uh, uh, Salem, Oregon here. Uh, as I mentioned, his dad was a Korean War vet, so he's always, uh, he's always been fascinated by history. And, there's a and so does he have a regular there. job? Of course not. He does, but he does still. It's just, it's just, I don't know how he finds the time, really, to do it. The guy's amazing. Uh, he's beyond amazing. <laughs> Wow, the detail. I mean, and a lot of these ships and stuff, like I said, they're not they're not box kits. He's he's got these things carved out yeah. of wood. Yeah. Uh, the guns are all made out of wood. The everything's made out of wood as far as custom made replicas of these ships. He's he's even built us a um, a hangar out of the same materials. Um, as you walk in there, I'll show you later too. So wow, just, so aircraft carriers. Yeah. <sighs> This is just unbelievable. I, I, it's, it's hard to even imagine that one man in a lifetime, in a life, maybe in two lifetimes, could put this together. Wow. Uh -huh. Yeah, I know. You know, at a one time, you think about, you know, it was all, uh, you know, an accommodation. I think of, uh, you know, a attic, uh, an attic and a basement and, you know, storage facilities. And so. Wow. Yeah, there's people get addicted to things, but I can't even be, imagine being this addicted to, <laughs> oh, yeah. to building models. Maybe the model glue gets yeah, you. Yeah, it is really amazing. So it's definitely one of the more uh, popular new, uh, new exhibits that we have at the museum here. Yes, mm -hmm. that is just fantastic. Uh, we have one of our uh, newer exhibits we're, uh, we're also working on right now. It's, it's nearing completion um, is our Holocaust exhibit right here. You've got a whole and other more, room yeah, yeah, of, of more of these models. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, Submarines. Uh, uh, Missiles. Broken submarine, mm -hmm. one sitting on the bottom of the ocean. Wow. Okay. You got a miss, uh, uh, submarine base where mm -hmm. they're loading the torpedoes. and I didn't realize the hatches were in the front of those mm -hmm. for loading the torpedoes and stuff. I never guess never really thought about how they got them down there. Trains. Wow. This is this 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 right here could be its own museum. Oh, right, I know. This is just unbelievable. Wow. Yeah, if 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 you if anybody comes to this museum, you need to take the side trips. These side oh, trips yeah. are, are just little, unbelievable. There's always little nooks and crannies they have. So, yes. so yeah, this is our uh, newer Holocaust exhibit. It's actually uh, it's titled uh, Stars Without a Heaven. It's about uh, children and the Holocaust. Um, it's actually in partnership with the uh, World Holocaust Remembrance Center. So um, this is something, uh, as I mentioned earlier, a, a newer exhibit we're just about nearing completion on. So Okay, and this has a lot of banners. You've got a video going on. Uh, just with the explanation mm -hmm. of, of, I guess, children in, in the Holocaust, in the, yeah. Yeah, in it's the really, concentration you know, camps, mm -hmm. labor camps. Yeah, it's really heartbreaking when you read these stories. I mean, it's just children in particular, you know, uh, especially having a young child myself. You know, it's just it's absolutely heartbreaking what happened to, to children. Well, everybody in the Holocaust, really. But Well, you know, you know and, and this is something that I've been thinking about a lot mm -hmm. lately is how privileged we are oh, absolutely our generation yeah. the generation before us you know and and the generation under the two mm -hmm. generations under me mm -hmm. you know these these kids have no idea no. what what our great grandparents went through yeah. i mean as far as just labor laws right. uh and and so many other things you know they didn't know a time without war you had 
uh, yeah. the Civil War, then after the Civil War, you have the World War One, then World War Two, then the Korean War. They, yeah. Their whole life was another. lived in right. war. Right. And having the luxury and the time to be able to go skateboard down on the down on the skate park just didn't happen yeah. for these people. Yeah. You know, they were working when they were ten years Absolutely. old because yeah. the family needed it. Right. 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 And uh, we are just so doggone lucky at this stage in, yeah. in the game. Absolutely. Okay, and so here's uh, Auschwitz mm. uh, concentration camp that you've got a little uh, panorama of. This was made by the same gentleman, by the way, Stram, <laughs> who bent all that. Of course. So, so he didn't only have time to carve <laughs> all that, right. he, he made another right. one. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. I'm told he's. I'm told by him he's actually working on the um, on, on the Roman Empire now too, which is really. I mean, there's no. There's no end. I mean. <laughs> wow. That is just un. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to Salem. I might need this guy's phone. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I'll hook you. I'll hook you two up and. Uh, I'll, except I don't want to start talking about every single model he's done because <laughs> right, right. I'll be there for the rest of my life. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. How long is your podcast? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, here we're looking at a, at a plane wreck, it looks like. Absolutely, yeah. So um, this was a, an aircraft that uh, it turned out was, uh, it was discovered back in, um, in 2010. Discovered up in the, wrecked up in the woods uh, by one of the local lumber, lumber companies. Here in Oregon? Um, here in Oregon, yes. Yeah. Okay. So, of course, they immediately came to us and said, hey, do you know, do you know what this is? So we did a little research and we found it was a, a World War II dive bomber, the uh, Curtis SB-2C Hell Diver. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, <coughs> we're not doing Excuse COVID. We're just Jeez. talking yeah, too much. I just, yeah, yeah, I'm talking too much. Yeah. Oh yeah, common problem with me is talk, talking too much. But um, so it turns out it was one of the uh, aircraft that was being stored in the hangar here uh, after uh, World War II. So what they did once the airships left, they um, they used both hangars during the war to house surplus aircraft. They'd fly them in from literally all over the world and take the props off, take the wings off, and just store them here. And then when the base was uh, officially closing down in 1948, um, they were flying all these airplanes into other uh, 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 other areas for storage. And this is actually one of the planes that was being stored in here and then flown out in 1948. Um, unfortunately, it didn't make it very far. Um, um, it crashed probably... Uh, well, several minutes after takeoff, uh, a little bit north of here, between uh, uh, Rockaway Beach and uh, Wheeler, um, unfortunately. Um, and it's, it's really kind of a sad story, actually. Um, the gentleman who was, uh, was flying it at the time, uh, that's actually a, a picture of him. His okay. name was uh, Bob Smedley. He was the chief aviation pilot. Uh, during World War II, and he was a ferry pilot, so he'd actually he'd go to a location and he'd move an airplane from one location to another. And um, he came up here just on a routine mission to move this thing ultimately down to Corpus Christi, Texas. Okay, um, but unfortunately never made it that far and was uh, was tragically killed. Not but long but after he takeoff. was but but he was recovered. Mm -hmm. They just left the plane, or mm -hmm. did, yeah, did, they just was left this the plane. Plane discovered at that time. They did so you know so they they removed some of the items that you know they could have reused and then just left the wreck. Of course, after the Second World War, you know they didn't even want whole aircraft, let alone ones that had wrecked. So they uh, they remo they removed his remains, buried him down in Long Beach, California. Uh, removed some of the personal items, uh, any of the personal items that they had found at the time. And then, uh, so when they found this back in 2010, the wreck was more or less uh, rediscovered. Okay. Um, so then they sent they sent a team called uh, JPAC, which is the uh, 
joint prisoner of war missing in action command up there to uh, look for any more human remains up there because nobody was everybody had pretty much forgotten that it was up there so you know we went back found the accident report um the team went up and uh, discovered more personal items from the pilot um, um of course the wreck as you see it here um Here's some of the that was just items. laid out the way that it that they found it more yeah, or less. So, yeah, so we so. Just, we want to display it exactly as we found it up in the woods. Um, so um, here's some of the the um, sadly some of the personal items from Bob Smedley. Um, of his Part G, of his G1 jacket. flight jacket. If you fold that over, you can see the shoulder epaulette there. Um, this is the silk parachute. Um, it appears he attempted to bail out at the last minute. Wow. Um, <clears throat> So uh, a lot of parachute components there, parts of the aircraft, um, and then and then you've got plates. this display that's that's pretty good sized. I'd say this is probably sixty by sixty right. or so, mm -hmm. sixty by thirty, mm -hmm. that has the plane exactly mm -hmm. like how they found mm -hmm. it, uh, documented it, and brought it in here and mm -hmm. put it on display. Yeah. So you can see a real plane wreck right here. It took me quite a bit of research, but what's kind of interesting is it actually found. Um, um, they had a daughter uh, at the time. She was only um, six months old at the time. Her name's okay. Susan. She lives in down in, in, in Atlanta now. And uh, I, I was thinking about her age, and I was thinking, geez, you know, she's probably about the age of my mother. So uh, it'd be really interesting to, you know, try to locate her, especially since we had found her dad's airplane. So I actually found her stepdad, who happened to live in Hawaii. I contacted him. And I said, hey, can you have your stepdaughter Susan contact me? You know, we have, um, you know, this wrecked airplane that we found of her father's. And so she immediately called me the next day and supplied me with pictures and um, information about her dad. Um, you know, sadly, she was too young to, to remember her right. dad at all. Um, but I'm sure um, she heard the stories yeah, as she was growing yeah, up. Yeah, So, and it's just, yeah. And then, you know, her, here's her mom there. Um, um, and uh, Babette Smedley, she was actually a, more or less a Rosie of the Riveter in Northrop Aircraft okay. down in Long Beach. So it was kind of kind of interesting. And this is really sad. It was sent, um, this telegram was sent uh, to his wife, Babette, 12 days before the crash. It says, coming home, love Bob. And of course, you know, Bob never made it. Right. So, and you know, I'm still in touch with uh, his daughter, Susan Smedley. So this is a great tribute she been to her here dad to, to her visit and, the museum and, and stuff? She or? has not been able here to visit. So I, I really, I look forward to having her here one of these days soon. So, but, wow. so it's really a, you know, so, so a lot of folks will walk up and they'll think, oh, just, you know, a wrecked airplane. But to see, you know, that story behind it, I think that really moves you and moves all of our visitors. So when I, you know, I tell that story to tour groups, you know, everybody gets all teary eyed when they, when they read the story and they, and they hear about what really happened. Right. Yeah, and this is this is what I enjoy so much about mm -hmm. my podcast is is we're able to pick up on some of the backstories yeah. because not mm -hmm. everybody gets to tour with someone right. like yeah. you. Yeah. Okay, now we've got another interactive display where mm -hmm. you've got a, a Corsair 880. This is so. Uh, this is a Ford fuselage of an old uh, Convair 880 uh, built down in uh, in San Diego, California. So a lot of folks don't remember the Convair 80s because they only built 65 of them at the time. Um, they were more or less the brainchild behind Howard Hughes. Uh, Howard okay. Hughes, they wanted, he didn't necessarily care how, care how many how many passengers the airplane held. He wanted something that went faster than anything else. So, and it did go significantly faster than anything else at the time. You know, its cruising speed was in excess of 600 miles an hour, which is faster than a lot of airliners cruise at nowadays. So, uh, designed and built by Convoy Aircraft down in San Diego, and um, you know, un un unfortunately, they never lasted too long. They were retired in the uh, early 1970s, um, but they were 
they were fast airplanes at the time, you know, talking to pilots who flew these things, you know, they said they climbed like a homesick angel, you know, it was like, it was like flying a military airplane. So that's how, wow. how fast these things were. So and this, was, this is one that you can go up into the cockpit, uh -huh, you yeah. can go up yeah, into the fuselage. In, uh -huh, yeah. And uh, see all of that again, very interactive. The uh, rear half of the aircraft was, um, uh, was scrapped some years ago, but we do have this uh, center section here, uh, uh, about 40 foot section. Uh, Convert 880. So, um, really, to get uh, wanted to get people an idea of what commercial flying was 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 like back then, the 60s. Really, at the, you know, at the dawn of the jet age, you know, it was right. luxury, and uh, you know, it was one of those where you dress up to fly, and you know, we don't get to experience what flying was like back then. And most people have no idea what it was like. So, we want to give people that uh, taste of what exactly that was like. So, we'll, let's walk up the stairs here and. Hmm. This is another one of our pieces that's a little bit of a, a work in progress still. We're, we're still working to uh, reupholster all the chairs here. So, mm. Mm. Oh yeah, you've got... So I'm gonna have you sit in one of the, the seats here, so. Okay. Dang. You probably fly quite a bit. Yeah, look at how wide that seat is. The so. seat, you, you, yeah. you sit down in this and you yeah. feel like you're, you're yeah, actually you cross your legs sitting on a couch and right. you got some leg yeah. room. Now we'll, now we'll pitch you back here. Oh, and you can, uh, heck, you can recline in this thing almost like a real recliner. Standard sea pitch, 38 degrees, if you can believe it. Wow. <laughs> Nothing like flying Allegiant now. Right, yeah. Where you're in a seat that's so damn tight, you can't put your elbow right. down without pushing the other right. person out of their right. seat. <laughs> wow. <sighs> nice carpets. Mm. Yeah, and we did. We just re when we reupholstered these, we recreated uh, as uh, we found the airplane. Uh, this uh, airplane was actually sitting down in uh, Mojave, California, at the airport since uh, September of 1980. So, uh, so we really we brought this thing back to life, and and we even so, got the old time music playing. That's right, Harry yeah, Mancini, yeah, right? Yeah. Isn't that who that is? <laughs> So, I love I love all this baby blue. You know, this reminds me of uh, my my grandparents had an old Ford Pinto, and that was this color, this baby blue. So that's well, reminds me. You don't have all the little here. hatches on the door. You uh, just stuck your stuff up above. Yeah, and, yeah. and if your plane turned too sharp, you got to have some luggage on your yeah, head. Yeah, they weren't even luggage. You know, they called them hat racks at the time. So uh, it looks like they actually had some pretty decent meals they were serving yeah, at the time too. So everything we have here in the uh, the, in the galley area um, uh, was was things that they ate actually. You know the cheesecake. You know it's all faux foods, all, all uh, fake synthetic foods here. But you know shrimp, tomatoes, cheesecake. So yeah, they ate really really well back then. And wow. We have a uh, um, actual hostess uniform. They didn't call them flight attendants back then. TWA called their uh, flight attendants hostesses. An actual hostess uniform that we. Uh, that we purchased from the TWA Museum there in Kansas City. And back so, in the day, uh, there were some pretty stringent requirements oh, on, what, on what you could yeah. do to be a, a stewardess. Absolutely, you had to, yeah. You had to weigh under 110 pounds. Yeah, and you couldn't be more than five foot two or five foot six and, yeah, or something. If over, and, if, yeah, if you're over a particular age, you weren't allowed to be a, a hostess. And yeah. I mean, you look at the restrooms even, you know, how much, how wow. much, how much room You've there was on the room, lavatory. Yeah. There, so. yeah. And now, now they had a holding tank there. You didn't just drop bombs as you right, were flying right, over the no. city, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, always, I always used to wonder that as a kid. On, if they're using the bathroom oh, yeah. out there, where is it coming yeah. from? <laughs> yeah. So even the cockpit was, you know, fairly spacious compared to a lot of cockpits nowadays. So of course, you know, like the like the mini guppy outside, you also had the pilot, co-pilot, and you had the flight engineer as well. So right. Um, so. Wow. Yeah, these were these were great airplanes at the time. They've kind of been forgotten, unfortunately, so that's why we're trying to revitalize it and, and educate folks on what flying was like and about the Convoy 880. So, 
uh, I'm particularly passionate about it because my, uh, my grandpa Gerling actually uh, worked for uh, Convair in uh, tooling as a machinist for 45 years. So uh, the Convair 880 was something he worked on. So I'm, he's since passed away, but I know he would uh, definitely be proud to see this. And then yeah. we got the, uh, one of the engines that I had here. Um, oh, wow. Convair 880 actually had four of these engines. So uh, this is the military version of the J79, but the uh, Convair 880 had the uh, civilian version, which was called the CG805s. So you can really get a really good, a good idea of how big the engines were on this airplane. So Yeah, they're huge. Yeah, four of these things. That's what, the, that's what, that's what they had. So and That's why it was so fast. And Okay, now, now you might be able to answer this question. You might not. Back when I was a kid... We always heard sonic booms. I mean, sonic booms were were an everyday occurrence. You'd be outside doing something, and all of a sudden, uh -huh. Uh -huh. and uh, nowadays, I don't know if I've heard a sonic boom in in twenty years. We hear them every once in a while. We have uh, F-15s out of uh, Portland Air Guard <clears throat> every once in a while. We, you know, if the conditions are just right and they're out of the water doing training, we'll hear we'll hear sonic booms. So immediately people get on Facebook and go, what the heck was that? And, right. Uh, and I love it because I grew up going to air shows. And <laughs> Yeah, I, I can remember sitting on the edge of a, of a <clears throat> big old canyon looking for elk, and all of a sudden oh, yeah. the sonic boom had uh -huh. hit, and it would take you about four and a half feet in the air before <laughs> you came back down wondering who was shooting right next to you. I love it. I never get but, tired uh, of it. So. No, I think the sonic booms are great but but did they do something as far as regulating airspeed and stuff to where most of your commercial aircraft don't yeah well nowadays there's pretty severe restrictions on where exactly you can fly like if you're flying out of pdx you know you, you know notice when you're flying on an, an airplane you know you're pretty much following the river you know you're not going over residential areas per se and you know and then you know with the national guard out here they're 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 pretty strict on where they're allowed to fly, which is why you don't really hear much in the way of sonic booms. Like I say, unless unless the the weather conditions are just right, you'll you'll get them over town here. So, okay, we just walked around the backside of this con conveyor that we just were inside, <laughs> showing us uh, what the old planes were like, and they've got one of the escape chutes for yeah. if the plane crashes. Yeah. I've never seen one of these. It's all yeah. air filled and uh, and it's a slide that you'd slide down yeah. out of. We wanted to actually uh, cool. incorporate the emergency evacuation slide because when we took possession of the airplane, um, this is actually uh, owned by a gentleman named uh, Doug Scroggins, who does a lot of movie work. Uh -huh. um, you look up uh, Scroggins' um, uh, aviation mock-up and effects. He does a lot of movie work. So he's worked on uh, Sully. He's worked on Flight with Denzel Washington. You know, he's one of these go-to guys in Hollywood now. Um, so he owns the airplane. So when we took possession of it, when we walked into the, the interior of the 880, this emergency evacuation slide was all up up and crumpled in there and i thought you know why not incorporate it so it's so can we try it no i oh i would love to try it so i <laughs> but that slide if you look at it is dated uh, june 1969 so can that slide is a piece of history right there can, so. can we can we cover up the, the i would love to slide on that just right, yeah, yeah let's do it, let's do it. <laughs> okay and, and now we got a, a series of tractors in here yeah, a lot uh, of old uh, historic tractors, like this one's from 1960, some of the old, uh, older ones even. Some of the, uh, these tractors even uh, predate the base, actually. This is, you know, a, a 1940 uh, case tractor here. So some of these... Uh, you got a 60 Massey Ferguson, mm -hmm. you've got a co-op. I don't know what brand that is, Big John Deere. Yeah, something like, like this one is... 32 it's, it's like, you know, the Chalmers. Further you go this way, like the older they get, this one's 32. And then you've got an old 29 Air Force tug. Yeah, That's I mean, what they so, use to move the aircraft around. Yeah. That's kind of a cool little piece there. Yeah, several tractors. And what, what's all this over here? These here are aircraft <clears throat> engines? Yeah, so yeah, and this is uh, yeah, different uh, aircraft engines from uh, um, 
uh, different parts, uh, different airplanes. Uh, 1925. Some are super old, um, some are more 1920. modern. Some are 1920. Some are 1940s, World well, War II. A lot of them here are Vs. I thought that they mostly used the rotary engines back in the day. Yeah, well, it depends on the particular airplane and the, and, and the manufacturer. Now, were some of them liquid-cooled? I mean, like this plane here, this one here doesn't look like an air-cooled engine. Yeah, so like the, um, these... Uh, um, so like this one, um, the Allison's here, those were all liquid. Some were liquid cooled, some were air cooled during the second World War. So they actually War, so. had radiators on them. Some of them, yeah, yeah. So wow, yeah, I just, did not realize that about airplane engines. I thought all of them were always air cooled. Yeah. So yeah, just yeah, you know, just just depending on the uh, the uh, particular manufacturer. And we've got like twenty on, different so. uh, engines here that are that are out of a lot of different planes. You've got a few jet engines. This one here is kind of a cute little one. Yeah. That's a little jet engine, isn't it? Yeah, that's jet engine. Wow. This is just so cool. There's something else. Uh, this is going to be another one of our, uh, our walkthrough exhibits, interactive exhibits, uh, uh, Mount, he Mount Hebo. Uh, Air Force Station exhibit. So uh, up, up, up just a little bit south here was Mount Hebo Air Force Station. Here's some of the uh, the pictures. It was a radar station, okay. uh, as it, it says. It looks then, like it's got a great big white dome on top for the yeah. radar unit to sit in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you know if you go up there nowadays, unfortunately the you know the, the air station was dismantled uh, many many years ago, so there's nothing up there now. Uh, it's a great place to go up. Just a great view of the area, but, uh, but there's so much history, you know, um, that's that, that's up in that area that. Um, there's really nothing in the way of uh, there's some small interpretive signage when you get up there, but that's about it. So we, you know, we really wanted to tell a story about Mount Hebo and really give uh, uh, people an idea of what was up there to interact with. And right. So, um, so they had all these uh, uh, above ground uh, above ground tunnels. Um, of course, with the with as high up as Mount Hebo was at the time, you know, they were really subject to inclement weather. So blowing winds, hurricane force winds, uh, snow. So they built all these uh, above ground tunnels for you to walk from one, one location to another. Which so, are basically great big coverts. <clears throat> right, exactly. Yeah, they yeah. just put a yeah. uh, uh, 10 foot round covert together uh -huh. and, and that's what you're uh, yeah. uh, above ground tunnels yeah, were. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, wow. So this is one isn't quite open yet, but soon folks will be able to walk through this and so. I love that you're still progressing with with what you're doing here and, and oh it never oh it never and, ends and, and yeah, how absolutely. interactive everything yeah. is yeah we got some more tractors yeah. in here we got a hang glider yeah is that one yeah, of the gotta... the early hang gliders or uh, it's more I think that's uh, 1980s vintage so not 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 too old so still a big kite still yes yeah, yeah still a big kite so that's it there's a lot of hang gliding that goes on out here on the Oregon coast as well is there. So, you can see how much space we have here. Like oh, yeah, yeah, you're space, not even... So. <laughs> we, we, we're about, what, halfway through right now? Uh -huh. and, so and the thing that we haven't got to yet that we still have to get to, you've got two steam trains in here. That's right, yeah. I mean, and, and, and they look small. I yeah. mean, everything looks small yeah. in this building. It's yeah, absolutely. And, and now, is this the size of the of the dirigible that was in here? So this is um, this was a homemade airship. You see the aliens painted on the side here. Right. This is actually looks better. like it should have come out of uh, Roswell, New right. Mexico. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe it did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the one that spotted the aliens. So um, no, this is actually um, significantly smaller than the uh, blimps that were here during the war. So this is this is about a tenth of the size of the uh, blimps that were here. So that really gives you a good idea. Of and it doesn't have a gondola on the bottom. Um, no, it, 
it didn't. Uh, well, they used to have like a, a bucket where the one gentleman, James Thompson, who built the thing, would would sit and fly it. So, but that's that's been removed now. So, and, he, and one of the aliens has a great big spike. I guess he's going to poke a hole so in the, this. Yeah, thing. maybe. <laughs> Yeah, I so noticed, what were the dirigibles mm -hmm. filled with that were here? So they were filled with uh, with helium. With, with, with helium? helium? Helium, rather. Okay, because the hydrogen's mm -hmm. so explosive. Right, exactly. So, um, interestingly, you know, even the, uh, even the, stop here for a second, wait for the fourth look. Um, so even the uh, Hindenburg was actually originally designed to use helium, but they had to use uh, hydrogen as their lifting gas because the, uh, uh, U.S. Secretary of the Interior at the time, Harold Ickes, we refused to export any helium to Germany because we were really afraid that the Germans um, would use the, the Hindenburg as an offensive weapon. So uh, otherwise, the plan was to, was to fill the Hindenburg with helium. So okay. they had to actually reconfigure it to, uh, to use hydrogen. So. And what kind of helicopter is this? Is, this? Called a, we'll call it a scorpion. So <laughs> I don't know. I, I love flying, but I'm not sure if you could get me in that. So... <laughs> And now this scorpion, <laughs> it, it, is, it, uh, is it homemade? No, I believe it was, uh, if I recall correctly, it was, it was part of a kit. So this is a gentleman has it on, uh, on loan in the museum here. So. And, do you, and do you need a license to fly this one? Yes, yes. You, it's, you not, it's not an experimental. Yeah, not yeah. <laughs> wow, and it is for sale, it looks like, $14,000. It'd be fun to, fun to go flying in once, but just to say you did it. But. I don't know. That, that looks like my speed right there. <laughs> right, yeah, there you go. I mean, if you're going to die, you might as well do it yeah, grand that's style, right? right? That or the, or the hang glider right, over right, here. Right, right, right. And we have the two uh, steam trains, as you mentioned. Uh, these are actually uh, owned by the Oregon Coast Scenic Railroad, who okay. operates a uh, passenger railroad just a little bit north of here in, uh, in Garibaldi, Oregon. Okay. Um, they bring steam trains in here to work on them. So, and it's great because, because, you know, steam trains are kind of like uh, fire trucks. It's like everybody loves them. Every, so. Yeah. But the thing that, <laughs> that, the thing that's amazing is that a steam train fit, you got two of them in here mm -hmm. yeah. and it doesn't look like you've got any, if, if these were the oh, only yeah. two things in here, you'd be thinking what a waste yeah, of space. Right. But even Absolutely. with all the airplanes, we still got yeah. a runway all the way down this thing yeah. with everything that we've talked about. That is what uh, eighty foot wide. Yeah, we still got to go into the tent. Oh Airplanes man, are under the tent still here. So, and then we got mm -hmm. some old military vehicles. We got mm -hmm. an old model. Uh, it looks like a Model A truck, and uh, a, a Jeep, a, a military trailer, a military tow truck. This is just like wow. And the back half of this. They must not have had enough stuff to put in here. I don't know where you'd find enough stuff to put in here, but it's all full of RVs. We're, uh, we're, that yeah, must be an RV uh, storage unit. We're working on uh, adding more and more exhibits out here. So uh, every just, year we add more and more. So it's just so definitely stay tuned. So it's old uh, old test propellers from uh, aircraft dating to the uh, the nineteen forties. So. And they would use those to see which ones were the most effective? Or? Right, yeah. Wow. I love looking at all the, the wood grain on there. So. That, they, they have some very pretty <laughs> yeah. propellers. Okay. And now we're walking into, oh, wow. This is uh, autos and airplanes inside of a big tent. Now, why do you have them inside the tent? Um, just it just helps keep them a little bit clean. So we have a large colony of barn owls that live in here, barn owls and pigeons, and of course, barn owls and pigeons, they make a little bit of a mess. So it just, it helps us keep things a little bit cleaner than they ordinarily would be, so. 
Yes. Uh huh. Uh -huh. Oh, okay. I'm just curious. Okay. We have one of our uh, guys, Dennis, working on one of the engines out here. So we're always working on restoring something out here. So this is one of the A4 Skyhawk engines. So the uh, A4 Skyhawk's the airplane out on the uh, pole out on the highway, the okay. gate guard out there. So that's one of the engines he's been working on. So yeah, we're always working on some new exhibits or restoring something out here. So. Wow. So, okay. Now under under the big tent here, we've got uh, we've got three old automobiles. It looks like an old uh, Mercury. What? Probably forty eight, and an old Nash. Maybe like a nineteen twenties model. See, see you know sort. your cars too. So yeah, and I'm not <laughs> sure what this what this little one here is. It's, yeah, we got to do a signage on some of these still. So I'm I mean, not. Uh, it, it's a pretty cool looking car. It looks kind of like the old. Uh, uh, MG, uh, oh, yeah. TR, whatever, yeah. but that's not what it is. Yeah. It's something else. Yeah. And then you've got a lot mm -hmm. of aircraft. Are, are some of these ex experimental or? Yeah, so yeah, so some of them uh, were, and then also the FAA house has a, you know, a, a category called experimental, which doesn't really mean experimental like you or I might think of experimental. It's just a particular class of airplanes. Okay. Um, we've got... Some of these are... Um, we've got a couple of biplanes here on the other side. Some of these, like the Newport, it was like a 7-8 scale uh, replica. We have a 1946 uh, air coupe. No, no, um, like these... Uh, are these World War One vintage, or these, are these they would, just reproductions? Yeah, or? so it's a repro uh, reproduction of a World War One vintage aircraft, the uh, Newport 11. Um, so it's 7-8 scale, so it's almost about full size. So, I mean, that gives you an idea of, you know, they're flying around right. these, like, tiny little fighters during the and, war, and, you know? And are these still flyable? Yeah, I mean, uh -huh. yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. this one, this, yep, this one can definitely And uh, the first fly. one that we're looking at has two seats in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have our Sky Arrow. So, um, this particular one I, I, I find is always interesting. Um, we're looking at a cute little plane that looks like it's set up for a single person. It's only, that thing's not more than 15 yeah, foot long. Yeah, this is long. the Rutan Long Easy. This is, has, um, the, has the propeller in the back, uh -huh, has, yeah, a, like has a glass yeah. cockpit mm -hmm. cover, and, uh -huh. and fairly decent sized wingspan. I'd yeah. say the wingspan's probably 25, 30 foot long, yeah. and a little tiny wing on the front. Oh, so this was the same type of aircraft uh, John Denver was killed in, uh, unfortunately, in, in 1997. Okay. So it really gives you an idea of, of what he was flying at the this time. Is the so. same, this is the same style of plane? Or, same style or of plane, there, or yes. Or the same make yeah. and everything? So, yeah, same, same make, the Rutan Long Easy. Yeah. Wow, he was in a, a pretty small plane. Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't realize that it was that small. Yeah. Yeah, and you're really crammed into that cockpit, too. Yeah, oh, there's bad. not a whole lot of space in there, so... In fact, we can go uh, behind here. I'll show you what it looks like inside here. Okay. Line. I think it's. I think oh, this is set up for two people. Um, and he's in the process of opening up the the, get the plexiglass down. right now. Um, there we go. No wonder John Denver couldn't get out. Yeah, of they get her. <laughs> there you go. So, yeah. but yeah, there's, oh, there's, man. Yeah, there's not how do you a pour room, yourself so. into that? The distance between the seat and the dashboard's only six inches. Mm -hmm. You had to have some pretty skinny legs to be able to do that. Yeah, and he didn't have a lot of, um, wow. Aircraft was not full of fuel at the time. So what happened was he, he'd, he'd, ran, he'd run out of uh, uh, fuel in one tank and he was trying to move, move, uh, 
fuel from one tank to another and the uh well, bailing out wasn't an option no so he, he was reaching reaching behind him like this with his you know right hand over his over his left shoulder and try to feed fuel and uh, it looks like he invert inadvertently hit the rudder pedal and he was flying low um at the time so wow yeah there just there's no room in this thing and he was actually an ex a very experienced pilot you know he had this airplane was um well, the rattan long use was actually a newer airplane to him but uh wow um we got our, our helium room here so you were talking about the uh the lifting gas for the uh, blimps that are out here during the war so right. this is where a, a lot of the machinery that made that happen um, oh, I was located. thinking maybe it was like an oxygen bar where we were oh, yeah, right. yeah, the helium. Yeah, the <laughs> <laughs> I always said that'd be really fun to be able to, you know, pump some helium in here. So that wouldn't be very healthy. We but, all but yeah, right, right. Um, Talk like Donald Duck. So here's some photos of, uh, you know, some of the, like this uh, massive uh, sphere called the Horton Sphere used to sit right outside of the uh, windows here. And this, oh, really? would, this would house uh, some of the, uh, you know, quote, impure helium. Helium be becomes contaminated very easily. So they'd, they'd, ha they'd uh, pump all this impure helium out into this massive sphere. And, then and the sphere, it says a 60-foot round. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. That is huge. Yeah, it is huge, yeah, yeah. And it says that uh, a human's voice changes when inhaling helium by speeding up the body's sound waves when speaking, similar to speeding up your voice on a record. This causes a change in the resonance of the voice, making the pitch, the voice pitch appear higher, like that of Donald Duck. So here's some of the uh, rail car with the uh, helium tank. So they, bring, they brought the helium tanks up from uh, just outside of uh, Amarillo, Texas. And then they were uh, they're buried into the ground. You can see in this photo here inside the helium room of uh, the underground uh, uh, helium tanks. Okay, and, then, and uh, so so they they brought the whole helium cylinder that was yeah, a boxcar right. length right. long, right? And probably it looks like they're probably 24 inches round. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it looks like they got what uh, five of them on a rail car. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, pretty good sight. Here's and Texas is nice where point. helium's uh, main supply is? Yeah, it was, um, uh, you know, helium's a byproduct of natural gas. So they'd, uh, okay. they'd uh, ship it up by rail car. Here's a couple photos of that big, massive 60-foot sphere, the Horton Sphere again. So we're kind of in right here. And here's some of the buildings during World War II all, all And all out, of that's so. gone now, the hospital yeah. and the mess yeah. hall and yeah, so tennis was, courts, some of the, steam uh, you plant, know, Some all of the of tennis that. courts are still there, the steam plant which was right outside in this vacant gravel lot out here is, okay. uh, is gone. So I wanted to put this out here so folks could look out this window and, and, and see actually what was out here during the war. And, okay. Um, um, see the large uh, then you got a huge GE compressor. compressor. Yeah, yeah. So and down below you are some of the, the piping. So what they would do is they would move uh, all the impure helium over to the sphere. And then when the sphere had reached capacity, it would actually be moved uh, over to uh, another building just adjacent to the uh, where the other hangar was, Hangar A, that was the uh, helium purification facility, and they'd repurify it and then send it back to the hangars. And then from the hangars, you could send it out to the uh, blimps. And we got a concrete floor in here with uh, wood planking on it so yep. that you could access to be able to right. get down in underneath right. to the pipes and, and be able to work on some of that kind of stuff. Then you got this huge old electric motor that ran the compressor. Wow. And so did they have pipes coming from this room going uh, out into the hangar so that they did, yeah. with, a, with a portable hose, uh -huh, I'm assuming, yeah. to fill up the... Yeah, I can show you those later, too. They're running up at about uh, 25 feet, and then from the... Uh, um, 
from that piping, actually, you could use a flexible hose and, and, and move it from that piping to the uh, airships themselves. So Okay. So. And then we come back out here again, and we're looking at a couple of uh, another three antique vehicles. we got a 1928 Studebaker Dictator. Very nice. That's very nice. We've got another Ford Model A. That's very nice. And then we've got a military ambulance. Yeah. That's uh, oh, 1940. I'm assuming that's probably on the Dodge Power Wagon. Probably, yeah. Uh, running gear. <laughs> it looks like the old yeah. Dodge Power Wagon mm -hmm. panel van. And it's in really nice shape. Mm -hmm. Really a nice looking piece with mm -hmm. the Red Cross symbol on it. And then we've got this jet. We have this one. This one's a MiG-17. A MiG-17. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's a uh, that's uh, Russian. Russian, yes. Uh -huh. Yes. Yep. And it's got a really interesting uh, air intake mm -hmm. for its jet engines. Mm -hmm. It uh, it has a hole in the front that's about two foot round, and then has a divider for mm -hmm. the air to to go on back into the jet yeah, engine, actually, and it all sits in the fuselage. We actually have two MiG-17s here, actually. Oh, do you? Uh, yeah. Uh, this one was. Uh, this one's in the Vietnam War. Inter interestingly enough, all the uh, records for its service on the communist sides have all disappeared now. Okay. <laughs> um, this is a British trainer, the, uh, the BAC Jet Provost. So these are um, pretty much everything under the tent um, flies. Oh, really? Uh, on occasion. So, so you so, still take mm -hmm. them out and... And uh, they haven't got out in some quite some time, but uh, now are these yeah. all owned by private people that have them uh, so we have, held uh, here in the hangar, or are these owned by the museum? Sure, so there's uh, a couple things going on. So we have um, some aircraft that are on loan to us from uh, private individuals, uh, such as these ones that we're looking at here, like the MiG 17s and Jet Provost. Um, then we also have uh, aircraft that are uh, owned by the museum. Um, donated to the museum at one time or another. And then we also have uh, aircraft that are on loan from the U.S. Navy as well. Okay. So kind of a hodgepodge and, um, yeah, variety of aircraft and that are here for a variety of reasons. And um, you see, this is a, a Learjet 24. I don't know if you ever heard of uh, this gentleman here, Cal Worthington. He used to run a series of car dealerships up out of uh, Washington and California. No. He had all these... Uh, these uh, ridiculous commercials that would go, Cal Worthington and his dog spot. And, and, Actually, you know, I think I've seen then, some of those commercials. Yeah, that, yeah. So, and then, they'd, you know, they'd march out. You know, it wasn't a dog, of course. It was, you know, some went uh, a wild animal like a tiger here. And um, So this used to be Cal Worthington's uh, private aircraft. Okay. Uh, in fact, if you look so at So he the, sold used cars but drove around in that's a right. He was actually a uh, World War II uh, veteran. He was a, uh, uh, a veteran of the B-17 bomber, actually. So okay. he's actually a very good pilot. And uh, if you look at the tail number, actually, it's funny. They changed the tail number when he purchased the uh, Learjet here. So N711CW for Cal Worthington. Okay. So it's got some interesting history for folks that remember uh, Cal Worthington. So we had all of his dealerships when I grew up in Seattle there. So huh. um, here's a World War II vintage uh, 1945 uh, A26 Invader. So this is another great piece as well. So This is World War II era. World War II right? era, yeah. yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, was it a bomber or was it a fighter? Or what it was, was? A, yeah, it was a bomber during Second World War. So. Okay. <laughs> um, really neat mm -hmm. uh, uh, twin-engine prop mm -hmm. plane. Yeah. Uh, kind of a cool-looking plane. Sits yeah. up kind of high, but oh, yeah. uh, I guess that's for loading and unloading yeah. the, the bombs. Mm -hmm. It was built a little bit too late in uh, 1945 to see any combat at all, but um, okay. but it did see um, um, a little bit of combat with the, uh, uh, the with the French actually. So uh, later on, so 
Okay, now mm -hmm. in behind this, we've got a little tiny something put underneath there. It looks like it's made out of two by sixes. What in the world is that? that, that that's a darn good question. I really don't know what that is. Really <laughs> <outside>. <laughs> you okay. know, there's so much stuff in here sometimes that you know you're always you're always spotting something new. So, huh? Yeah, interesting looking little little plane. Yeah. Then we got a little gyrocopter, mm. gyroplane it calls it. Which the, a yeah, lot of these were homemade, right? Yeah, that, yeah. This this particular one wasn't homemade at all, but but. Yeah, this this particular one was here uh, was donated here in a couple of years ago, so I think it'd be kind of fun to fly this thing actually. So, but the gyrocopter, you had a helicopter prop on top, but you also had a drive motor that pushed right. it forward. Right. And so the gyro yeah. kind of made the lift. Yeah, Is it's that a little bit they... different. Yeah. Yeah, most people just look at them and think that you know they're just like a like this one for instance, like a helicopter, and think it's like a right. helicopter. They're really not small. That's what they call gyroplanes, and not gyrocopters technically so this is one of the um uh navy uh, training helicopters that they use the uh cayman htk1 um which they didn't they weren't used as trainers for very long actually because they found um pilots actually found it a little bit too easy really to fly so and of course they have those you the know, timing on this had motors. to be absolutely right. perfect yeah. this yeah. has this has two of the helicopter mm -hmm. blades on top mm -hmm. And they're only sitting five feet apart, both of them on a bit of an angle right. to where there has to be intersection. How, how in the hell we, does that work? I know, it's, it was interesting. I always point to people to this, uh, this great YouTube video on there. It really shows how they uh, work. And we used to have a little model when visitors would ask us that, how exactly they, uh, they rotated without, without colliding and that we could show visitors. So, yeah, the it was timing really had to be perfect. Design. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah. It must really be neat. angled down They're enough to where the top blade... Holy smokes. Yeah, we, we, def we, def we definitely get that question a lot. So Okay, <laughs> I'm looking at a Cayman, K-A-M-A-N-H-T-K-1. Mm -hmm. I am going to be looking this up on Google and on YouTube, trying to figure out just exactly how these yeah, props pretty work. Yeah, this, this makes no sense to me. But it, but it was very easy to fly, <laughs> you say. Yeah, it was actually in the, uh, you know, pilots found it a little bit too easy to fly, which, you know, which you really don't want in, in, a, in a training helicopter. So you want something that's going to be a little more difficult than something maybe you're going to fly later on. And now, did it have an external uh, drive like the gyrocopter where it had a prop that pushed it forward and stuff, or did everything work off of the, the helicopter? Everything was off there, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. It, it's got a big round something or other behind it. I don't know what that is. I'm gonna, this is a YouTube thing. Okay. Got one of our Bell Sea Rangers. So we got a couple of helicopters here as well. Um, now, was this one maybe used for the Coast Guard? It looks like the coloring would be. This Coast one was Guard used coloring. by the by the Navy actually um, for several years. In fact, as far as I know, it has. Uh, I have to look up the numbers again. More hours on it than any other uh, Jet Ranger out there. So this is another one that's actually on loan to us from the uh, the Naval Museum in Pensacola. Um, okay. And it's just a, a standard helicopter, mm, right. pretty big mm. cockpit area and cargo area. Right, right. And then we got a neat little experimental plane that uh, is all plexiglass for the cockpit. Yeah, this one's fairly new as well, so that's why we don't have much signage right here. So it's like we're always getting something new or building something new or working on something new or restoring something. And so it looks like it's just got a little two-cylinder motor in it. Yeah, so many smaller airplanes are like, whoa, it's, you know, like a... The glorified lawnmower. Yeah. And this here's so, a home built. Yep. Yeah. Brown starlight home built. Mm -hmm. It's just, again, another mm -hmm. super small plane, probably just one person and 
The prop's not even that big. That's yeah, kind I don't of think amazing. I that prop's thing. only that prop's only from top to bottom uh, with both sides yeah, is only like five foot. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, maybe you're right. Yeah, four foot. It's you're not probably very better big. estimated than I am. It so. looks like it looks <laughs> like uh, it'd have a pretty hard time carrying the plane. This one, like uh, the Cessna 180, it's another one on loan to us from the Naval Museum in Pensacola. But uh, you see, they used it. And, uh, it was like it was actually one of the uh, one of two of airplanes over the. Uh, very first light airplanes to, to land on the North Pole. Okay. So. And this one has Arctic Research Laboratory mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. written on it. It's still, the paint and everything's really nice, and it's got a set of, a really nice set of skis that yeah. attach where the wheels are for landing on the snow and ice. Yeah, it's been some cool photos. It, it had hit um, a, a pallet load of uh, frozen fish here at the time. So oh. Were <laughs> it's it's kind of sitting sorry. on the side with the wing kind of bent a little bit. <laughs> I hope they had duct tape to hold it yeah, back down. Yeah, right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, flying up there is a whole different ball game than. Oh, I'm sure it is. But the air ought to be thick to where uh, right. to where you can get yeah. some good lift and stuff. Yeah, the Nord uh, 1101. Um, they also called him uh, uh, Willie Messerschmidt, who actually uh, he actually did design this. Of course, most people are familiar with the German ME 109 during World War II. This was. He had originally designed this as uh, to be called the ME-108, so it's kind of an interesting connection to Willy Messerschmitt, so um, a German designer during the Second World War, so, so and then they use this much this later. Has a, this has a pretty neat cockpit so. in that uh, it's got windows all around, but you've also got windows up on top, and, and uh, I don't know what you were hoping design. to be able to see, maybe when you were flying at night, yeah, right. the stars or something, or, or maybe they flew it upside down <laughs> a lot. But uh, uh, you don't usually see uh, sunroof-type uh, glass yeah, in an airplane. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely some unique airplanes. This is that there are. Fairchild GK1. This was he used uh, uh, a lot as like an executive transport airplane at the time. Uh, wow, this is just such yeah. a fantastic museum. There's so much here, and you know, there's so much to read and interact with, and. Uh, this one was donated by uh, uh, a year or so ago by the gentleman. He's actually a commercial pilot, flies for United, had this plane for years. He wanted to donate it to the museum. So, I mean, again, we have plenty of space out here. So, yeah. I'd love to be able to tell the histories of, the, of these particular aircraft. So, uh, so you're still taking donations oh, yeah, and, yeah. and all that, yeah. people that are wanting to, absolutely. to yeah. house something and still own it. Uh huh. And, and uh, mm -hmm. has something that's a little bit unusual. Mm -hmm, absolutely. So, again, it's, it's history, housing history here. Right. Exactly. And it's something for everybody. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I never wanted uh, to have a museum here and set up displays where, you know, the wives will sit out in the, out in the gift shop and, and think, oh, it's a guy's thing. You know, I want to. My husband's going to go through, but, you know, there's, like, we have, we have our Women of World War II display in the exhibit hall here, you know, talking about the huge role that women played in during the Second World War, and, you know, there's something for kids out here. I really want there to be something for everybody out here. And, well, you have so much variety. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, we got the, the fire trucks, the tractors, the, the interactives with the, mm -hmm. with the simulators. Right. 
the uh, fuselage that uh, you mm -hmm. can go in. I mean, you know, it's just there's so much here mm -hmm. yeah. that I can't see that there isn't something here for absolutely yeah. everybody. Uh huh. Yeah. You know, bring the kids here, and I can't I can't imagine a kid not thinking he was in some sort of playground. No. Oh yeah. No, it's fantastic. We have our uh, it's closed right now because of COVID. We have our kids play area as well over there for younger kids as well. So, right. Which is, a, which is a great spot. So. So, oh yeah, my daughter who's seven, you know, she loves this place. She's basically grown up here and, you know, loves airplanes and so. But, well, I would imagine the asleep. kids that are, that are 15, uh, 18, oh, yeah. whatever, uh -huh. you know, I mean, yeah. it, there's just so much to see, so yeah. much to do. And uh, this is such an awesome museum. I really, really appreciate your time. Well, I'm Christian, glad you, I'm glad for, you came out here. This is wonderful. Us. Oh, this, this has is great. been a lot of fun. It's been really good. I appreciate you walking around with and, me. And uh, your, your time, I know, is valuable, but I appreciate you taking this time, and hopefully it'll love do us both some good. Around. Absolutely. And uh, when I get through with this, I'll be sure to Perfect. send you yeah. a copy of it. As long as we're talking about that, what is your website? So our website is uh, www.tillamookair.com. And do you have pictures of, of a lot of this Absolutely, stuff yeah. on yeah. there? Yeah, photos of uh, all the aircraft and exhibits and um, tells you what's what. Uh, we also have a Facebook page, um, which the Facebook page is really a great place to go on to and really keep to, keep up to what's going on in here on a day-to-day -day basis because stuff changes And what's your Facebook so page? Um, it, I guess if you just go into uh, type in, you know, Tillamook Air Museum Facebook. I don't remember okay. the exact URL now of the, of the Facebook page. So Okay. If I say it, it I'll probably get it wrong. And <laughs> well, and do you have a YouTube channel that you're showing some of this stuff? We or? do have a YouTube uh, channel. We don't have a whole lot on there right now, though. But we do have that. So, um, but yeah, we are on. You know, we're on. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram, uh, Facebook, YouTube, website, of course. So yeah. Okay. Facebook's and, probably the great, pl the best place. Oh, sorry. Nope. And, <laughs> um, and as far as traveling and stuff, if anybody's driving down the the coast. You're going to be at Tillamook anyway because you're going yeah, to come and eat right? the cheese. Yeah. This is a place that uh, that you need to come to just to see this museum. It is it is well worth the time. What's what does it cost to get in here? Uh, Ten fifty for adults. Ten fifty. So, and yeah, what's the really cost for a kid? So uh, depending on the kids, seven fifty or three fifty. Okay. So, so if your kid's a brat, yeah. it's seven fifty. <laughs> if your kid's good, it's three fifty. So tell them your kid's good when you so, come in, yeah. and it'll be okay. <laughs> Yeah, you, you can't miss it. Driving down the highway, you get, you get a lot of folks that call and say, hey, you know, where, you know, where exactly are you located? They say, hey, head three miles south of Tillamook, and you'll see this massive thousand-foot-long Blimmeyer from World War II. You can't miss it. You there's, can't miss the there's building. There's Air Museum written on the side of the hangar that's 100 feet tall and 30 feet wide. So you right. literally can't miss the miss Yeah, the, the only way you're going to miss it is if you're you're not looking. That's right, yeah. I yeah. mean, there's, there, there are towns that you drive through that Better. are smaller than this place. <laughs> right. right. I've been through several of them. You know, right. you blink and you miss it, but you, you can't really blink and miss this. Oh, thing. absolutely. You know, you know, there's so much history in here. You know, as I mentioned earlier, the history, housing history. And, we, you know, when the Navy left in 1948, you know, we had, you know, all sorts of interesting other things happen. You know, John F. Kennedy was in the hangar here in 1960. When really? He was on one of his, his campaign stops. He was a senator at the time. And then we had uh, David Copperfield, who was out in the hangar here in the, you know, the early 1990s making making a train with Orient, Orient Express disappear. So even once well, the Navy left, say, you know, I'm glad so he didn't make the hangar that's disappear. That's right, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so anyway, well, well thank the world you again, is and, full of wonder. It is, and absolutely. People need absolutely. to get out and explore, oh, yeah. see what's out here. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I'm wishing everybody has an absolutely wonder-filled day. All the rolling go, where am I to go? Meet Johnny, where am I to go? For I'm a young and a sailor lad, and where am I to go?